Hello and welcome to For the Love of People podcast. My name is Shania Khan. I'm a marketing expert, business coach, brand strategist, and founder of For the Love of People group, content marketing agency. I love helping people nail down their brand message via great content that people will absolutely love. If you're looking to grow your business and yourself professionally, personally, this podcast is definitely for you. My goal is to take you and your brand to the next level by inspiring you with stories from other brand founders like myself. I provide you with specific tips and tricks to take your marketing and self-development game to the next level. We're about to have so much fun together. Thank you again for joining me and let's dive right in. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of For the Love of People. We have a guest today and I get so excited when I have guests because then you guys don't have to listen to me drone on and on by myself. Um, today I have a very good friend of mine and amazing jewelry designer slash professor slash humanitarian slash does so many other things, Katrina Kelly. Katrina Kelly is known for her fine jewelry wands called Wisdom Wands. These gold charms are designed to help light up your world and remind you to always welcome magic and wisdom into your life. Share and wear wisdom all wands come with a quote of wisdom shared by the designer Katrina Kelly herself. Um, Her designs tell a story of a journey of fun, love, light, lore, wisdom, and magic. Captivated by fine jewelry's intrinsic, intrinsic, oh my gosh, Katrina, I can't even say that word. I know, that one's a hard one. No worries. Mystical and symbolic attributes. Katrina creates a jewelry style that's classic. It fuses these ideas and combines fine, intricate mastery. The jewelry has an ancient heirloom and cultural feel, enlivened. Uh, with a flair of modern whimsy. Katrina Kelly studied jewelry design at L'Arte Orafi in Florence, Italy, and worked at Eurat, a Turkish jewelry company that reinterprets the region's rich past with a modern perspective by appropriating style from the Ottoman, Byzantine, Seljuk, ancient Sumerian, and Phrygian cultures. God, I hope I got that right. That's all right. All that goes into a tiny piece of gold. <laughs> she studied iconog- iconography for her master's in art history, won arche- archaeological travel and art history fellowships for her research, and is an adjunct professor of art history and humanities. She takes cues and inspirations from all these experiences and translates her findings into enchanting golden treasures inspired by ancient wisdom and the magic of wand iconography. Uh, iconography. I can't speak today, Katrina. <laughs> no, that's okay. They're, they're challenging words. That's too much in my bio. You're making me want to change it. No, it's good. It, you know what? <laughs> it's just, I, I, I'm just like reading these and I'm so fascinated by you already. And I already there's, know you. Yeah, there's so much going on on those little pieces. It's, it's so good. Wait, we're going to finish because it has to be finished. And her belief in always seeking and sharing wisdom. And of course, her love for all things that sparkle and shine, which you are very sparkly. Her collection, her jewelry collection uses responsibly sourced precious gemstones. The gemstones Katrina chooses represent the beauty of the earth that has been tested by time, pressure, and fire. The gold they are bound in symbolizes the light of the heavens and the cosmos. Wisdom is knowing how magic you are and being brave enough to let it light up the world. So that is Katrina. You guys, I messed up her bio a little because these words are so powerful um that when I was reading them I got I got really inspired by you and by the way I did not know that you studied um in Italy right yeah that was an amazing school and um very specific to jewelry design I mean these were the masters there's this bridge Ponto Vecchio or the old jewelry masters this is the heart and soul of the renaissance so I was studying jewelry history there And after I got my degree in metalsmithing and jewelry, this was like a continuation. It's a big deal in Europe. Um, People don't really know what it is here, but that really set the tone for everything I did um, after that because I was the only American at this school. It was in Italian. Now they have English courses. So I had to be in this environment and basically infiltrated in the language and all these cultures. That was an unbelievable experience. I became so small as an American in my perspective. And so everything was elevated and expanded from that experience. 
Um, I, I mean, so you had to learn Italian. For, yeah. So you took class in Italian. I'm so shocked. Right, right. So actually, I thought it would be much easier than it was. So before I even went to Italy, I took three or four months of Italian, thinking that that would do it. And then realizing how rich the language is, you have so many conditional phrases and like, what if you would have gone if it would not have been raining? And so that became very challenging. So the very first words that I knew really, um, I mean, once I got there, even before I was immersed in our program, it was like six hours a day uh, before I even attended the school. And I had studied some Spanish and that was it. But all these students knew like five languages already. So it was so easy for them. So yeah, it was an Italian. So I became technical with my words first in gemology. Okay, well, that's fantastic. And I have, uh, I have been to school in different countries, but I don't know what I would do if I had to learn the entire language and sit there. So you're, and you've always been like that. You're um, you're always learning new things. You're so into art history and you always, um, you're very inspiring. And number two, you're always teaching me new stuff. So what I wanted to ask you, number one question of the day is what, what inspired you to start designing jewelry or you, have you just always been fascinated by it? So it wasn't initially jewelry because I didn't even know you could get a degree or be a jewelry designer. The only thing I ever wanted to do, like I, I was extremely creative. I wanted to invent and I wanted to go into fashion. I loved clothes. I loved mixing and matching and finding a little edge with a little beauty and a little classic style. And that was my major until my last year in college. And I couldn't sew. Like that was I was horrible. I didn't want to sew. I was like dyslexic with a sewing machine. And there was no way I was going to complete like 20 tailored garments. Um, that was impossible. And so a friend of mine had been taking jewelry design. I'm like, that's fashion. And I fell in love with the medium, the alloys. We were using copper at that time. And that was extremely fun for me. I was really good in math and science. And that just made more sense to me. And for some reason, I could manipulate metal unbelievable, but I could not sew with fabric. And I also um, was becoming conscientious of the environment. And I felt I didn't want the pretentiousness of some fashion. I didn't want to create a new collection every five minutes. I thought that was ridiculous and just wasteful. And how is this fabric recyclable? But metal is always recyclable as a medium. It's it. Gold, you can melt it down. You can use it as an investment. You can have one wedding ring. So you're not always... I, I wanted to create quality, not quantity. And so I just fell in love with the medium and just continued. And it took me longer to graduate because I switched majors. Um, but that was fine. And, you know, you bring up such a good point. Jewelry is when it's great quality jewelry is actually very sustainable. And I actually never thought of it like that because fast fashion, I mean, I'm, it's, it horrifies me how much probably goes into the landfill as we're recording this episode. Right. But, I, I have noticed, and it's been something that's been ingrained in me and my culture too. It's like always invest in really good jewelry because it lasts forever, right? It's like- Exactly. And how much it costs. So sometimes people are like, oh my God, this is whatever, $2,000. But what they don't understand is if you're calculating per wear, it's, right. it's costing you way less than your Forever 21 commercial piece of jewelry. Right. Yeah. Don't even go there. I mean, it's it, one, it tarnishes anything that tarnishes. I want no part of if you have to perpetually clean it all the time, like that's wasteful. That's time. Um, I'm a, I'm big on time. Like time is so valuable. Um, so you go buy it, but if you get few things that are just quality, I mean, like I have some tailored pants that I wear all the time and they're like seven years old and they're still in style because they're so well made. And that's what I feel about jewelry. You want to keep wearing it. Um, unfortunately there, there is so much fast jewelry, like fast fashion and it's made with this cheap brass. And while it's fun, 
I mean, I couldn't do that. My soul couldn't do that. I couldn't waste material and waste uh, like landfill. That's what I see going to a landfill and you get tired of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I always, um, whenever there's quality pieces and I think it's something that my mom taught me a long time ago, she's like, yeah, okay, this, this ring is $2,000. Now divide that by you wearing it every day for the next 10 years. Right. And so no, that's an ex- excellent perspective. I love that. Right. And when you do that, you're like, oh, so it costs me 0.1 cent. Cool. Um, <laughs> right. Versus you're going to buy like a costume piece for $10. Divide that by the two times you wore it. Right. Right. For wear. Right. I love right, that. Right. For wear. And I think a lot of quality pieces, and that's why your tailored pants. I think I have some like coats or jackets or bags that I cherish and I wear so much. I've already gotten my wear out of them. So I think that's a really good perspective. And if people are really into sustainability and making sure they're not throwing more garbage onto the planet, I think investing in really great jewelry pieces is something that is, and it makes you feel good, right? It makes you feel like you value yourself enough to invest in great pieces because your body is worth and you're, you are worth that much. Right. And anything that has luster, I mean, we just as people have been fascinated since the dawn of dawn, whether it's enamel or ivory, which thank goodness you can't do that anymore, but it's the luster that appealed to people. So any metal or gold or gemstones, uh, we sort of just resonate to it and it makes us feel special. It makes us feel good. It makes the day brighter. It definitely does. And then we're going to, now we're getting into, so when I first met you and you were creating your beautiful jewelry pieces, which I love all of them, then I Thank found you. out you were a professor too. And you explained to me the connection between jewelry and art. So I, I guess my question is, how do you connect jewelry to art? And why do you think wearing jewelry is that's a second question. So let's do the first one. How do you think jewelry connects to art? Right. So one, it, it was literally one of the first decorative, small, portable status symbols. Um, I mean, it is literally stood the test of time. So it's one of these remarkable, uh, when you do these excavations of burials, uh, you find these exquisite like fibulae and Etruscan tombs. You have this and it stands the test of time. Um, so I look at it for the metalwork because some of the metalwork um, is so intricate, these these granulations and beatings that the ancients were doing. I mean, it's timeless. It still looks good today. You just put a modern twist on it. So I'm always looking at these ancient artifacts um, to inspire me. And then when you look at it, you're like, why were they creating it? Who was it made for? What gemstones did they have access to? And this tells you this elaborate story of humanity, because that's really what I'm interested in is what people were doing. How were they making something? Uh, what did they believe in? Are, are we any different or have we just reappropriated something? So I'm just, I'm curious, like the anthropology of it fascinates me. And the decorative pieces, so when you're talking about that and you're saying art and jewelry connect because it was a way to decorate yourself, so jewelry from the beginning of time has really been about status symbol, like how you stood in society or has every culture... Yeah, explain that to me. So so yeah, even the Egyptians, so if, if... they were one of the first one to create this like fiance, which is essentially this clay that looks like ter- uh, turquoise. So a simulated design. So the wealthy people were wearing turquoise or something gold or elaborate, but the common people still wanted to decorate themselves just like today. Um, so maybe you can't afford uh, 24 karat gold, but you have something plated. So everyone has just had that intrinsic desire to decorate oneself um, as art. Like what can you do. I mean, you look at all kinds of cultures with their massive like gauges in their ear, the neck uh, wrapping around these beautiful necks just twirling around. And we've, their status symbols and they're portable. That's what's remarkable is you just take them places with you. So we have, and we have good um, findings of them that we can look back to that tell us a lot about these societies. 
Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I was actually just like so fascinated what you said that everyone was just decorating themselves and it doesn't, I mean, then there's tattoos, right? Tattoos, jewelry. Right. Right. And they, they tell you maybe what clan you're from or there is a hierarchy of something or pedigree. Um, all of these tell you a story, right? So where you're from, what tribe do you belong to? To I mean, you're married. It, it gives you a symbol. Don't talk to me. Uh, so it is. It's very symbolic. Yeah. No, you're right. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's like every time we see pictures, even of the past or art, there's always some kind of jewelry or something going on there that people. I guess, mark themselves with. So, and then when we're talking about metal and gemstones, it was, there were only certain things available in certain regions, right? Now with obviously all the traveling, we can do everything is available everywhere. Can you tell me more about that? Because I'm actually fascinated. So were, were sapphires, for example, only found certain places or rubies or diamonds, or is that, or. Yeah. And, and, and that I think the history of art, like I love to look at what was happening because that's that's inspiration because this is something that humans created, and what we can create is is phenomenally fascinating. And it and you're you look at what they create and you're like, oh my gosh, I can do something like that too. So it inspires you in that way to elevate to your higher self. But yeah, so let's say like in Greece, you had marble, right? You had all these core uh, quarries. You look at the material. If you look at Italy, the Carrera marble, lapis lazuli, like that was Afghanistan. So if you find lapis lazuli far away from Afghanistan and some, um, tomb or burial, you know that they had a lot of money because they had to export that. And that means that there were trade uh, routes far and wide. So like you had these in Egypt, you had these sort of sarcophagus or sarcophagi, um, essentially some somewhere wood. So you had these Lebanon cedar forests that a lot of them don't exist anymore. So if you have that, you know, you're not finding this, this wood in Egypt. So that tells you a story that they have gone to the deepest extents to trade, to find this material. It was that big of a deal to get that something special and rare. So that's, yeah, because exactly, you only find certain sapphires or rubies or diamonds and certain quarries or certain uh, uh, marble or limestone. Like you look at some of the Gothic cathedrals and they are, have this very porous, but typically it's a, a local quarry because it's really hard to get um, something that heavy and dense really far away, but it had been done. And that gives you a fantastic story. That is so cool. And you know, when I, and I've been to Lebanon and the cedar forests are, are, yes, they're disappearing. And I don't think yeah. there is anything left. Yeah. Um, but that cedar was considered the best in the world, right? That was right. something people. Yeah, really it was after. completely cherished and sought after. So strange. So now I want to get into, because now you're telling me shortages. Then I have this random thought, which I love my, our podcast because they're always like this. They're very random, but I, the, that's great. The diamond, the diamond, I want to say controversy. So this myth, or is it the truth? Are diamonds not really rare and they're just being regulated? There's so many diamonds. So they're not rare. But just because they're not rare, I mean, I love diamonds because their flare, um, the way they reflect the prism, the rainbow, like the flash, and they're so hard, so they're not going to break. I mean, it really is a valuable. I think it's one of the most beautiful um, gemstones, but they're not that rare. There's a lot of them. So are they just regulated and controlled, and that's why we're paying more for them, or – because I don't see you paying more for them because right now, for example, if someone were to go sell a ring uh-huh. and you have something under a carrot, I mean, the gold is worth way more than that diamond. Right. So, so is gold then gold is limited, correct? It's like, there's, there, there's only a certain amount in the world. There's a certain amount of gold, right? And you can't yeah. make it. I mean, Right. You're, you're done. You've exploited it. Right. So there's a lot of, uh, 
of mines and people get excited about new mines coming up um, and it'll oscillate like platinum or, or gold, like the prices, but gold, I mean, we're going to have it. I don't know exactly how long we're going to have it, but it is definitely limited uh, for sure. That's so interesting. But you can melt it. That's the thing. You can, it's recyclable. You can keep using them. Um, so I think like some of the best designers sometimes, like I'll even have vintage rings that I have and I'll reuse those gemstones. So that's like, you just repackage things. So, I mean, like all these bars of gold that are out there, I mean, a lot of them are being hoarded too. Uh, so for some investment reason. So that's what's interesting is you have it for, uh, a monetary commodity essentially. Yeah. And that's, and they're, they are stashed. I mean, I lived in Dubai. I've seen, they just, yeah, I would house. love to see that. That would be remarkable to see that. And they just, they just keep them in their house. I'm like, I'd rather wear this stuff, but that's okay. Right. Yes. You can just keep it in your house and bricks. Right. Fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess the value will just keeping, keep going up and they're holding it for that reason. And that's why it's become even more limited. Um, but I do love your idea that if your jewelry bores you or you find it that it's not inspiring you anymore, you can totally create it into something new. Right. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. And I like that because it's 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 wearable art and it's also functional, <clears throat> but you can also um, change it if you don't, if you find it boring or you don't like it anymore, which is so cool. So Next question. How did you become a professor? <laughs> right. I don't know. That's something I can't even explain. I, I think there's some things we do like we don't even have free will over something. I think there's just somebody somewhere. It's like karma coming around. But I, you know, my grandfather was a professor of accounting. My grandmother was a teacher. My father taught business as well, professor. So maybe it's just in my DNA to have some desire because I've always wanted to, like, I've always loved history. Like history uh, is exciting to me, any kind of history. And then um, conflating it with art makes it just more exciting because it's something that we look at. And I just like the story. I, I don't even know. I love to read. Like I'm a voracious reader of everything. And then I love research and then I love to present it. So it could be probably anything, but that's, it's just a joy. I, it's my side gig. And you, you kind of just fell into it and love it. And you're actually <clears throat> inspiring others and educating the youth, which I feel a lot of us, including myself, need a lot more education on art history. I mean, I think, I think as you travel more, you learn more because I, I, I believe experiences, um, teach you more than anything that you could read in books. But right. I also think that there is nowadays, isn't that focus on reading? People are kind of, do you feel this not really interested in the past anymore or don't want to read about history or, or do you feel it's, it's the same way or, or, I don't know. I felt like people were more into history. I, I don't think it's valued in society as much as it should be for some reason. Um, it, you know, we're technology, all of these things are valued. I think everything should have just a very, I mean, I'm liberal arts, like a holistic approach to everything. Um, sometimes I, I think maybe art people are like, well, you're going to be a starving artist. Why do I want to learn that? Or you're not going to make money. So they don't see the value of learning about the humanities. And it's not, um, you know, we're so new America. Like if it was, you know, Europe is very different. These other countries have these rich histories like Persia and uh, really value their antiquities, but we don't have anything here to see. I think that's so inspiring because it's new. So um, it could just be location based. Um, but I, I don't know. I have some students that really are interested and they're like, okay, can you talk about more? They love like Rome. Uh, I got one of my most elaborate responses on a discussion recently from my students in my humanities class. It's early global cultures. And it was just comparing and contrasting um, Taoism or Taoism with Confucius. And I was fascinated how long they were because they, that made them think about 
other philosophies, how they've taken from these Eastern philosophies. So that, it's always fun. And then they teach me something. Every time they ask a question, I'm like, if I don't know the answer. I'm like, okay, then I have to find the answer to teach them. And that's, that's interesting because when there's a really nice, robust discussion about something, right? I feel right. people learn more um, through those discussions and it opens their mind. And I believe it's a way for us to have uh, discussions without having arguments. Because this whole um, culture, this whole cancel culture, number one, and this whole culture of I'm right, you're wrong, period, it's gotten a little bit out of hand. I was watching a documentary yesterday, and it's like my way or the highway, and nobody sits down. I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people now sit down and don't want to have discussions about anything because it's like, no, I just disagree, and that's it, period. It was wrong. Yeah, I would call it a... um censorship society, a censorship culture that I'm seeing. Uh, one thing that we do in our art classes is we have critiques. Um, at least when we had in-person classes, I haven't got to do this much lately. I can't wait to get back to do that. But I, we learn vocabulary, uh, adverbs of how to describe something, uh, how to describe art. And so we describe other people's art or their story three-dimensional. We do mock-up conceptual architecture projects based on uh, whatever artists they choose to appropriate. And then so they learn key vocabulary words to describe. And all of these trickle over to something in the real world, whether it be describing a car, whether it be describing, you know, why you like that woman, uh, why her hair is pretty, just more rich vocabulary. And then we we do it in a way that's objective, not subjective, meaning we don't say, I don't like your work. I hate your artwork. I mean, you just, you just change the words around. You elevate the conversations to say, well, maybe it doesn't have the balance or maybe the color scheme doesn't relate to me and that's okay. No big deal. Right. So you just change the words and how you, you just, people right now are, I mean, emotional intelligence is just gone. Um, people are being cruel to each other, I think. Very cruel. Like they're having knee-jerk reactions to something. And we're very polarized. And this polarizing and canceling culture, which I think it's more censorship, because I think nothing should be censored. I think anything should be able to be talked about. Anything should be able to be looked at. And anyone should be able to create the art that they want to. And you see it in the art world where somebody is um, creating something that maybe it's not of their race or not of their gender. And, and another culture is saying, you can't do that, only we can Okay, if you start to do that, then no one can write a book that's about a different character. If you start to do that, then you can't sing a song that's about a different experience than you have. And so all creativity and role playing is out the window and it's it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. I actually love that, that you're saying just because you aren't experiencing it doesn't mean you can't write about it or draw about it or feel it or talk about it, which, right. Which again, we're all humans and we're all connected. And I, I think we all do have one, one big experience as well as our own individual experiences. And I agree with you there, that, that objective, um, approach where everything is just there's I don't, there's so many feelings behind stuff now. And so you're supposed to have feelings, but then you're not supposed to have feelings, but then you're not supposed to care, but you're supposed to care too much. And so I, I do think personally, I feel like art has kind of gotten a little bit more boring. It's not as controversial books, TV. Uh, I watched a movie the other day and it was so, I mean, now that I, now that I was watching it, it was so inappropriate, but it was still funny to me because I remember a time back, back in the day, I love aging myself, back in the day, <laughs> I used to watch movies and just laugh and then the movie was over. Right. And right. I didn't have to tweet about it, write it about it, get, write an article about it, call my friends and get upset about it. It was just funny. And right. 
what happened to those days where we thought things were funny? And you know what else? When you were talking about censorship, I was thinking about, do you remember all the 80s movies? And they had like full like breasts out there. Nobody had underwear on. There was like, there was just like the human body was everywhere. And I yeah. remember in the 80s, even when you travel to Europe, it's so normal. Right. And right. now it's so not okay that I feel like, again, it's, there's this weird way of shaming ourselves about our bodies even. Yeah. I had a, a student in my class that asked me on the first day of class, if we were going to be looking at nude bodies and I tilted my head. I was like, yes, we're going to look at a lot of nude dudes that are Greek. Like you can't get away from those nude Olympians. Um, and she dropped my class. I'm like, what is going on? That's so, it is so, uh, I don't understand. I mean, it's, we shame each other. People, there's something going on early on and some foundation of religion, maybe. Um, Now, yeah, you don't walk around naked, right? All over. That's not the, you know, there's a time and place for certain things, but to be so overtly sensitive and shameful of things, um, I think people understand what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, right? I think you would so. think oh, no. it, it's just common sense. You just in in the realm of art and looking at antiquities. Um, but no, I do see some artists like pimping out some woman that's naked. I'm like, that's so vulgar. Like, I don't appreciate that at all, but I don't care that they're doing it and I'm not shamed and I'm just look away and look at something else. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I think we had that conversation where if you're offended by it or don't like it, don't look at it. Don't look at it and don't buy it and don't just stop. Yeah. We have, we as people have the most power and people are relying in my perspective so much on the government right now to tell them what and what not to do. You are, you have common sense, right? You're mostly free thinking, you know, there's some things that are innate, but come on, right? Yeah. Don't, um, don't underestimate the power of yourself and what we can do. I agree. And at the same time, what's so funny is that they, nobody wants to look at anyone naked, but at the same time, we've, we've sexualized breastfeeding. Right. So, yeah, I don't, that's beyond me. The most natural thing in the world and somebody's offended by feeding a baby. Um, yeah. And, and they're the ones that are sexualizing it. Basically the ones that are boycotting it if you're thinking about that, you've sexualized it. That's it. You're the perverts. Correct. And meanwhile, when you travel to Europe and other countries, it's completely normal and nobody cares. And here, when I moved here, um, uh, back here, I moved here when I was five, when I moved back here again, I was very shocked at the whole breastfeeding thing. I was like, wait, I'm so confused. Isn't this a normal thing to do? (laughs) It is the most normal thing. Right. So it, it was weird to me and how like, I don't know, I, I guess it, maybe it is the geography, maybe it is the country and not the world that we're talking about. I'm sure it's, it's not the world where no. we're, America is very different for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, so on to other fun, fun things. Yes. Um, so you are a local Houstonian, you're a native Houstonian. Yes. Born and raised. Oh my goodness, that's right. And I moved here and I met you. And um, I mean, you know so much about, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, so much about Houston, you've introduced me to new places in Houston, but you're also this world traveler. Um, Right. And I believe you're pretty, I hate to use the word, I'm not going to use the word liberal. I I believe you're so you're very, very open minded. And do you think that comes from traveling, reading books? being an art professor kind of, or do you think it's a combination of all of those things? Or do you think it's the environment that you're around? All of the above, Shania. I, I was introduced, my parents traveled. They were world travelers. So very young, I was in Europe. Um, but I think the jewelry world 
introduced me to so much more because people in the jewelry business, I mean, they're from all over the world. So I've interacted with people from all over the world. And then I, I've lived in New York and Los Angeles and Italy and done the grand tour of backpacking back before cell phones, which I'm so proud of, um, because I was able to navigate with a map without a GPS, with a compass and no phone. It was amazing traveling all over Europe like this. And so I think it it teaches you to be self-sufficient. And then when you're traveling like this, you stay in these hostels and you meet South Africans, you meet people from Chile, all over the world and you become really like we're all just people we all just want to go clubbing we all just want to maybe have some wine some good food and laugh and good community and you realize we just repackage it depending on where we're from um and then you there's no politics there's not even religion no one cares people just people are people that's it and when you realize that there's so much and we're so layered, we're rife with experiences, um, you appreciate hum- humanity and you're not so rigid right now. I'm like, what is going on? Why are people so hateful? Can't they understand that there's experiences are so layered and people become defensive as soon as you tell someone you're wrong like are you going to go around and tell someone you're wrong because you're jewish you're wrong because you're christian you're wrong because you're muslim you're wrong because you're chinese and people it's like they're doing that right now and no one's wrong they just have different experiences i know i always equate it to um going into a bar and being like i don't like you because of your shoes and I don't like you because of your shirt and I don't, and, and I was telling someone, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if we had to approach a hundred people and tell them all the reasons why we disagreed with their outfits and what they were wearing, why we didn't like their hair. It's exhausting. Stop. It is exhausting. Like I got off Facebook a few months ago and I'm, I don't think I'll ever go back on because I was, I, I started to read like what people are, they say something about, politics or anything and then the comments get so hateful and like one-sided and this gang this like crowd mentality against somebody or something and why would you do that why would i don't get people so i that are so hateful like that it's like there's this next door you know what next door is like in, in these neighborhoods and there was this one time um like all the neighbors are part of this online forum. And so if something happens, it's great for, you know, if there's crime happening or if you hear something and somebody was like, there is a yellow car speeding down the road. Here's their address. Here's the license number. And so now hundreds of people have information about this yellow car that was speeding. I mean, did you just stop to think maybe they're going to the hospital? Maybe there's an emergency Maybe something's going on. How could you just call someone out and then give them address without asking questions? We had a neighbor one time, like in the Montrose area, that um, in their neighborhood association started leaving hateful letters to this one house because they cut down a tree. And so all these people ganged up against her for cutting down a tree and found out later she had to because it had some crazy disease. So the arborist was had to cut it down Uh, and so this what people do i'm like people don't stop to take a breath and say what other experiences are they having right now yeah no i agree and i think um when i look back at all the people that um that i've met in my life that are i want to say the words closed-minded I've noticed there's a pattern of them not really traveling, which I really, I believe everybody should travel. And there's also a pattern of them not reading. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's a very good point, right? Because they're not experiencing different cultures and understanding them. It's just anyone's the different, it's like the other syndrome. People have this syndrome of the other. And we talk about it in art too, where um, like Pagogan went to Tahiti and he was painting the other. He left for the exotic. I mean, that was more the opposite, the allure of the other. But then there's the, unfortunately, um, the polarizing effect of the other. Yeah. And we've met people that have not left their town. I mean, I have. I've, right. I've met people that 
will not drive uh, this many miles from their hometown. And they tell right. me, and I've asked them, obviously very open-mindedly, hey, you know, what do you mean you've never been to Austin, Texas? They're like, well, I don't need to go there. I heard it's not safe. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it may not be right now. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? With all the people moving in, there's probably people living in right? cardboard boxes oh my gosh. over there. There's no right. left. Right. No, but I I can't get enough of studying about other cultures and experiences and their art and what they create and how they see the world. It's it's so fascinating. Right. It totally is because it's it it opens up your mind so much that when you get back home, you can't be anything but more open minded. You know, your your, right. whole, your whole world blows open, and you're like, wait, I'm not the only person in this world. That's so weird. Um. Okay, well, tell me a little bit also about um, uh, your jewelry designer, your art professor, you're a reader, and then you have this like um, you have your 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 uh, amazing dog Strudel, right? You have a cat, and you have a husband, and um, you also love to like cook. You have all these other things you do, Katrina. There's so many fascinating things about you. Um, you love little recipes. I feel like you're very detail oriented. Like you love tasks that are, I don't know, that have a lot right. of detail to them. The, and, and, you know, right now I went to the grocery store first thing this morning because I'm experimenting with this new, it's like a Persian beef stew. I was at my friend's house the other day and she's, she's Persian. She was making this crock pot dish with all these herbs. I'm doing a variation of it. Probably not as delicious as hers. But yeah, so this morning, that's the first thing I did. I'm like, I have to make this dish. And so it's going to be ready, hopefully by dinner time. So I like to experiment. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's the word. You're an experimenter. Experimenter. You're you're like, yes, scientist. I'm, you love I'm like a c collector of experiences. That's what I like. to Oh, say. I love that. Ooh, I'm gonna write that down. Okay, so next question. Number one book you'd recommend? Or your favorite book, whichever one you like. Yeah, so my favorite book is also very taboo, and I was actually rereading it last week, but um, Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov is, I think, one of the most well-written books I've ever read. Um, it's like lyrical, like the prose in there, it's, it's fantastic. And what is it about? <sighs> Well, the short story is it, it is a a man that sort of is crazy and he's infatuated with this younger woman and it's experience that he it's like this unreliable character where he he becomes completely coherent and is obsessed and had this love of his life and ultimately she died. And so he becomes obsessed later on in life with a woman, a girl that was that age or even younger and pretty much takes her. And um, it's the way it's written because it is something that is so wrong um, and so unfortunate because he basically uh, um, kidnaps her, this girl and falls in love and ultimately he ends up in prison. So as the book goes on, he, he rattles more and it's uncohesive and incoherent what he's saying. Um, but it's the prose. And I don't know if it's a juxtaposition of something taboo with something so beautifully written. Um, so it, it's sort of a interesting that I like this book, but it, I think it's so well-written. Okay, that's and now I want to read it. So, and again, open-minded reading is what we all need to keep in mind when we're reading books. Um, okay, well, that's a, I. I'm gonna read that book because I've never read it. Read it, and yeah, and let me know what what you think. Um, I was in book club in New York, and uh, we had this author that we were interviewing, and we were like, "What's your favorite book?" And so he that was his favorite book. So we read that Lolita in the next book club. And I mean, it's a group of like 10, 12 women. And it was pretty universal that we were all like, so um, at all with how it was written. Awesome. I'm definitely picking it up. So if you were to write a book, what would the title be? And what would it be about? 
Right, right. So I already have about 20 in different titles and I won't tell anyone until it's finished. Oh, come on. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. That'll be... Okay, fine. The, the 21st the one then. 21st right? one. What would it be? All the... It, and, you know, Shania, that's, that's where all the... <laughs> genres there's so many genres because I like so many things and okay, that's so the what would your problem. biography what would the title be oh my goodness it'd probably be something about art history um for sure and I I can't tell I I would title your I know. I'm jumping what would you title it Katrina Kelly collector of experiences I like that collector <laughs> of experience Something related to art history that's readable, uh, because I do find there's a lot of uh, pretension in the academic world, uh, and sometimes it's just not relatable. And people, uh, like some of my students, will be like, "Why did that sell for a hundred million dollars?" And, and you know, they're just like, "Why?" And so we have to discuss that. Like, what's the currency? And then it becomes so philosophy in a way like this abstract art that's just a a block color fields a block and they're just stare at it and they're like we I don't get it I don't get it and then it's like if you need something academic to explain your painting that it's sometimes pretentious but sometimes it just moves you and it's nice to look at that's yeah that's actually true um if you were to give advice to really anyone what would it be? I want to say uh, first, let's start with a younger generation. Right, right. Don't multitask. Don't put your phone down. Do one thing at a time. I agree. Humans are not designed to do more than one thing at a time. No, I tell my students like, okay, Leonardo da Vinci, he was a little bit of an anomaly. But some of these other artists... They spent five years on that one skill and that's it. Five years or even 10 years on sculpture or manipulating marble or stone. That's it. That's all they did, you know, and maybe had a family. So find one thing and do it well. And then maybe a subcategory. So don't multitask because, oh my goodness, students in my classroom, I'm probably, you know, they probably hate my class some of them because I'm like there's no phones there's no laptops no electronics in my class because they're multitasking and even the ones that are want to type on their computer um that's fine but that screen that blue screen is dangerous it annoys other students the clicking annoys other people and so many times I can look in the reflection at the back window and see they're on Facebook. So I had to eliminate that uh, electronics from my class because you're not listening. You're not focusing if you're doing two things. And I these are phones. Oh, my goodness. I don't even get me started with phones and how people are switching back and forth. And just we're so addictive. I can't believe it. Yeah, we are really addicted. I'm so glad I didn't. We didn't have phones growing up. I am because I, we were able to study. I was able to travel around the world and just talk to people without anything buzzing or saying, "Oh, I got a text. Hold on." I mean, I was actually relate and look at them and listen to them and learn. I know. I if I have one more dinner where someone's staring at their phone, I'm going to go insane. But yeah, I can't take it. I think like a we, whole we should new all podcast. <laughs> I mean, people are like, hold on, I have to get this. It's my landscaper. Or I'm like, what? You don't have to freaking get your phone because of a land. Like, you're, people are becoming slaves. Like, they think they have to answer their phone. Right. You don't have what to answer about, your phone. Right. And what about the times when we weren't home and it rang? Right. Oh, well, that's why. <laughs> um, I know. And I like your piece of advice. I think that the second piece of advice you gave, um, stick to one thing and just do it well. I think that relates to all ages because we're, we're in this society and culture where everyone just keeps like switching. Like I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this now. And nobody perfects their craft anymore. I, I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people don't spend the time, especially the younger generation to perfect that one thing before they actually figure out they're not good at it or they don't like it. Right. Oh, I, I totally that, agree. Looking to that one thing and saying, okay, I've stuck this out. 
and actually really don't like it. Um, and now I'll move on to something else. I I've seen that doesn't happen anymore. They're like, no, this is just not for me. I'm like, but you, you, you did this for like an hour. <laughs> How do you know it's not? Right. Right. I mean, I feel lucky. Like when I was studying for my master's, like we didn't have, I think I had a flip phone, you know? And so, I mean, that's all I was doing. Um, I, I mean, I had a job too. I would work and then at night though. And on the weekends, that is all I did for like a few couple of years, just studied and read and wrote papers and went to the library with like no phone um, and just studied and studied. That's it. And then when I was living in Italy, it was a year of all day classes of jewelry, jewelry design, jewelry history, um, and creating. That's it. I did nothing else. Yeah. And it, it gave you mental space too, to actually perfect the craft and get better at right. it. Right. Um, okay. So that about wraps up our uh, podcast, but I do want everyone listening to know, to find out where can they follow you? Where can they see your beautiful pieces? And I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. Right. Thank you. So the website is katrinakelly.com. And Instagram, anyone can message me on Instagram uh, at Katrina Kelly Jewelry. I, I, I'm not on Facebook anymore, so you can't go there. And so really, and Instagram, and that's my other thing about multitasking. I'm like, I have to do just one social media. That's it. And like Instagram, that's it. I, I can't go back and forth and, and sustain like quality of anything. Which I love that about you. And then if they need to sustain more, that's when they hire us. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's where you, that's where you come in. Yeah, that's, your like, you want, that's your forte you want, that you've perfected. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you want six social media channels? We got you because there's seven yeah. of us to do that. But yeah, alone, right? I could never. Yeah. I could never. And do you want to end with anything? Um, anything you want to say? to inspire people. You're very inspiring. Leave us with an inspiring quote. Yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes is it's on my website too, but is wisdom is knowing how magical you are and being brave enough to let it light up the world. I think, I think we're meant, we shouldn't hide our talents and our magic. Um, and we've got to find a way to be confident enough uh, to let it show, do whatever you can. Um, like some of my students, you know, they haven't found their voice yet. And there's some of them are so intelligent. And I encourage them to find the way to translate your talent to the world, show it off. If it's public speaking that needs to happen, study that, find a way to translate your absolute magic to everyone, that skill. I love that, that you said that because that you are so inspiring and I can't wait to see you again. Um, thank you. You well, Thank you so much for giving me your time today and have and inspiring people that are listening. We've, we have listeners. Um, I, I saw some stats the other day from like Serbia and Turkey and all these awesome places. So I'm so glad we, we went around the world and we talked about art and, and history and culture and we love everybody around the world. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out. Absolutely. To if you have any questions about art or jewelry, she's always willing to answer. And Katrina, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Um, You're welcome. Love, it was I a pleasure. Having you. For the love of people. people. people.